And you're probably asking, you don't sound like yourself, Carrie. I got a bit of a raspy voice today. It happened after elder meeting on uh, Thursday. I don't know why. We're going to walk through it, though. I want to give a welcome to everybody who is here. Thanks for coming, especially if you're new. We're glad to have you at the Awakening. And for the first time in the Awakening history, we're able to say welcome to you who are at home watching this via live stream. What do you think? I was always hesitant to do live stream because then I thought everybody would stay home. But you came, even amidst all the crisis at hand. And uh, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. If you're new, there's a Connect card in your seat backs. We'd love for you to fill that out and turn that in uh, when you get a chance, when we receive uh, the Lord's tithes and offerings at the end of the service. Uh, We are going to dismiss the middle school kids. You can go with Joel, and you're going to go outside. We are not going to do a turn and greet time this morning understandable in that regard so uh, young kids you guys can go and um, I want to just make a couple announcements for us as a church because of so much of the change and all that's happened it's really I think it was to me I felt like on Thursday was the floodgates of things just changing across our nation related to the coronavirus uh, for COVID-19 and all the concern that's at hand Um, when the NBA suspended their season and then they canceled the NCAA tourney, I said, this is, this is pretty significant of what's happening. And uh, so a lot of changes have been made. A lot of churches that are over 250 people are not meeting today. And understandably so, we chose to go ahead and, and step into a time of meeting and uh, the social distancing that they're encouraging. We encourage that. And there are plenty of seats here for you to get scattered around, I guess, today. But uh, we will not be having our worship night tonight. We will postpone that, and we will look to sometime in April, Lord willing, for us to have the worship night and the monthly gathering that we had scheduled for tonight. I want to encourage us that the church is not a building. The church is not a big gathering on Sunday morning. The church is the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus, doing his work during the course of a week. And we meet in life groups during the course of the week. Some of those will meet, maybe some not. But we want to continue to minister to one another and encourage one another in a very unique season of not only our um, nation's history, but literally around the world. And we're going to be giving some reference to that. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ has got things well in hand, and he's working through this in some ways. And I know different ones of us have had different kinds of responses. Part of me this morning thought, like, hey, let's do the open mic again and see what people's resonating with, that kind of thing. But then I thought, again, that might all go different kinds of directions. But I would like to invite somebody up this morning when I see how people respond on Facebook Uh, in other social media or maybe just interacting with them, there's an appropriate mindset for us to have as we look for the opportunity that God has given us in this season. And one of those was Miranda Sprague and Miranda and her husband, Joey. They oversee our young marriage ministry. And I'm going to invite Miranda to come up and uh, have her just share a few words as she uh, sort of worked her way through this week and what God laid on her heart. Um, Yeah, I just think as this week progressed, it was getting more and more overwhelming. It was Monday, it wasn't that extreme, and then all of a sudden we hear the NBA, Disneyland, I mean, it just got more and more and more, 250. And so as this word pandemic kept coming up more and more, 
it reminded me of conversations um, we had back when I was in Bible college in our church history class. And it made me um, want to look even deeper again into our church history of how has the church responded in the past during pandemics. And it was quite encouraging and enlightening. And I think it's worth dusting off their approaches I mean, um, if you look at the different plagues that plagued the early church, right? We've learned today that pandemics will still happen, but back then, more so than ever, were there widespread diseases that brought lots of fear and lots of need for help. And, I mean, there were so many of those. One in particular was in the third century in the Roman world. And the Christians were known for their compassion and their fortitude, during that time, when all of the politicians and the rich and the able fled Rome because one-third of the population was dying from a disease, the Christians decided to stay. They took care of the sick, and they even to the point of risking their own lives. And so they took literally the words of Jesus, of doing to others as you have done as you would want have done to you, love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man than this, than that who should lay down his life for his friends. And I also think of in the 1500s with Martin Luther during the bubonic plague, plague he too was encouraged to flee, 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 um, protect yourself. And rather he stayed and he ministered even to the point of losing his own daughter. So in church history, we were known for our great compassion and fortitude and, and death. And as I ponder our history, I'm challenged to look today. What is today in this day and age with so many different technologies and culture that we live in? How do I as a Christian approach a pandemic? And some of these ideas came to mind. Um, Unite and unity. I'm so thankful for everyone who's here and who's on live stream and is connecting to their church body in some way or another in times where we're being encouraged to isolate, this is the time for us to unite and, and be creative, right? With technology, let's use it. And if you can't necessarily come to church, then um, invite people into your home, one family or a friend or another, where you guys can still have time of worship and of prayer and be impactful during this time. Um, like Pastor Kerry said, use social media as a platform to encourage and give hope. It can be so easy to just scroll, scroll, scroll and see all the doom and gloom, but um, use it as a place to give light. But the biggest thing that I've been challenged in is our compassion. Um, how do we help those in need right now? And some of the ideas that came to mind are, are you a stay-at-home mom or dad, an empty nester, um, your college, you're now doing online and you have flexible hours. Can you help other families who need to work but their kids are out of school and they need some type of child care? Can you help take care of them on different days? Um, do you have an elderly or at-risk neighbor who doesn't have the strength or the bravery to go out into the crowds, right? I mean, it's overwhelming. I was, when I luckily went before everything got crazy, but I've seen the pictures of um, just elderly standing in hours of lines and they should be at home resting so can you go to your neighbor and offer to go out for them and brave the crowds and get the supplies they need do you have extra supplies and rather than hoarding can you share the wealth can you um, help people with you know the the jokes of the toilet paper or the serious of baby wipes and diapers and formula and all those things is there a place or a person that you know that you can help spread the wealth and in that, um, if you are part of the church body and you are in need, please let your family know because we want to help in those ways, absolutely. 
Um, and even to the point, do you know someone who is sick, whether it's just any type of sickness or who knows what kind of sickness it is, and lives alone? And can you bravely enter in and help take care of them in wisdom? Maybe that's making meals and leaving it on their doorstep, helping do errands or cleaning their home, whatever it is. Rather in a time where if someone coughs, you want to like run away, let's engage and outcast people and their sicknesses. And I think the biggest thing in all of that is fortitude. I think is a great opportunity for us, the church, to show that, to remember that this life is a vapor. It's a speck on our life of in eternity, right? So even in the worst case that were to happen during this pandemic, you're in the best case. You're in the best hands. You're in the best care. You're in the best outcome, the best promise. So let, don't let fear overcome you in this time. Engage, enter in, don't isolate and protect yourself only. Be there for people. The, the coronavirus leaves about 95% of people still breathing, but it has virtually left every single member of a society afraid, anxious, isolated, alone, and wondering if anyone has even noticed if they're gone. I cannot overemphasize the importance of the church right now and how we respond to these times, pandemics have shown places where the church has just blossomed and exploded because of Christians' compassion, fortitude, and kindness in this time. And so this is an opportunity for us, the church, to enter in and to bring revival like we were talking about last week. I think it's a great time. People are asking the deeper and harder questions of life right now, and we have the answer. So if we're isolating, how can they know? So I really just hope that Christians go down in history for this pandemic as people who are noted for their unity, compassion, and fortitude, our generosity, and our love. And so I just encourage you, whether you're watching online or you're here, that if you are a part of the church, it is really time to be the church. Tremendously well said. Thank you, Miranda. It was last week that I stood before you and um, finished up the book of Habakkuk. And you heard my heart, my burden that I shared. A burden that we would be a true church that was alive and that we would seek God's revival and renewal in our midst. When I walked off the platform last Sunday, I felt God's impression to me was, Carrie, you're not done with that subject. And so I took that to heart early this week, and I've had people praying for me, and I'm walking this out as God speaks to my own life for leading us as a church community, because our world, our society, our local community here desperately needs to experience the real thing of the power of God in transforming lives and communities. I invite you to pray for me as well. I thought I would step up here this morning and be able to launch into some words as it relates to that renewal, revival work. Little did I know how the COVID-19 issue would take a hold of our nation. When I read what Miranda had posted, it caused me to go back to some of those very same studies and looking what happened to the church when there was national and global crisis. 
And it's true if you study about the plagues in the early couple centuries. In 165 A.D., there was the plague of, they believe, was smallpox. And it lasted for 15 years. And instead of people fleeing from the cities, the Christians, they chose to stay in the cities. And another generation later, there was a plague of measles. It's said that in the first plague that one-third of the Roman Empire died. And a lot of the people who were left alive were the Christians because the Christians took care of other Christians. On the back of your program is a book that I encourage you, if you're bored seeing there's no sports or anything else going on, you could read this week. It's by Rodney Stark. And Rodney Stark talks about the rise of Christianity and there's a lot of interesting things he brings about in that saying, how did Christianity take over the known world at that time? The Roman, the Greek, was it because it was great preaching? Not necessarily. It was because there were people who were loving on one another in the name of Jesus. And people were drawn to it. Rodney Stark is a sociologist and a theologian. He references at certain times in, America, or in history of the world, there are what's called revitalization movements. Could it be that God allows something like this to happen? Not that he causes it, but he allows it to happen for a revitalization movement of his people. I like what Miranda pulled out, where her focus went not only with the understanding of what Christians did when there were plagues before, but also how to practically get around helping people. And whether it's with their needs or, my goodness, kids are off school for a long time, it sounds like. Maybe there's people that help, need help with child care and other things, but that we can move in some of those directions. But may this be a revitalization movement even for us as a local community. I walked off the stage thinking I'm going to preach about revival. And God said, no, I'm going to give you a hoarse voice. I'm going to move in a nation and open us up to a revitalization movement. I want to encourage us as believers in Christ. And if you're new this morning and you're on the outside looking in, trying to understand what a relationship with God might mean during this time. The Lord is near and he can draw near to you and speak to you and encourage you. We're exhorted. We're exhorted in Philippians 4 to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's not be anxious. Let's not feed into the fear. Let's listen to the voice of the Spirit and move out in movements of revitalization, really movement for revival and renewal of heart. I'm going to go to the bullpen this morning. I called somebody early morning and I said, the voice isn't there. And I called someone that's a dear friend. You know him. He carries a heart of compassion. 
And you also encouraged me last week on this whole subject to revival and renewal. But will you welcome Greg England to the platform this morning to bring God's word. What a week, huh? Turn me down. Uh, first time that we're going to televise this, and instead of someone very polished, you get a hillbilly from Alabama. But uh, it's been quite a week, and I so much appreciate what you said earlier today. Uh, but I want to encourage you this morning. And I want you to go out of here today encouraged and filled with hope. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share something that I shared in part. Uh, You guys are working on that, right? (laughs) It's ringing bad up here. Uh, Something I shared in part a couple of weeks ago here uh, for Joe's grandmother's celebration of life. And it comes out of Luke chapter 7. And I... Don't know how to tell you this, how this happened, but w- when I got the text from Kerry to give him a call, um, I had no idea what he was needing. I've always told him, if you ever need me to fill in, just give me a call, um, so be careful what you say to people, because they will do it. But on the way to the church this morning... The Lord just started putting stuff in my heart, and I'm going to do my best to share what God put in my heart, but I'm going to start with where I was with Joe's grandmother's funeral, and I'm going to take it in an entirely, entirely different direction. But here's the story from John chapter uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, and it's an amazing event in the life of Jesus, and I want to preface this by saying When Jesus performed a miracle, the point of the story was never the miracle. Jesus performed miracles to teach something, to tell us something, to proclaim something. But the main point was not the miracle. And this is the first time in his ministry that he does this miracle, this type of miracle. But the message to us is not what he can do but it's how He can transform our lives. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, I don't know what version it will be up here on the screen, but I'm using the New Living Translation. Soon afterward, Jesus went with His disciples to the village of Nain, with a great crowd following Him. A funeral procession was coming out as He approached the village gate. The boy who had died was the only son of a widow, And many mourners from the village were with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. And he said, young man, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk to those around him. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us. We have seen the hand of God at work today. The report of what Jesus had done that day 
spread all over Judea and even across its borders. When it says a mighty prophet has risen among us, it doesn't mean Jesus just happened to come to Nain. It's the same terminology in the Old Testament of of the work and the ministry of the prophets, a prophet among his people. They prophesied that John would come, Elijah would come again, and he came as John. Not They weren't the same, but he came in the same ministry. John was the type of Elijah. And in that respect, they were saying, there's a prophet been in our city today. So let's look at this for a moment. They're following Jesus. They have no idea why they're going to Nain. Nothing ever happens in Nain. But that's why they're called followers, because wherever Jesus went, they followed. And Jesus is going to Nain. This is some little backcountry, backwater thing that, that nobody knows anything about Nain, even to this day. There is still a name, but we don't know much about it. We have no idea how many people live there. We don't even know why it existed, but it's just a few miles southwest of where Jesus was doing his ministry at that time. And so he goes to Nain. And as they approach the city gates, Jesus' crowd is kind of rambunctious. They're joyful. They're happy. They're enthusiastic. Uh, They can't contain what they've seen Jesus doing. And as they approach the city gates, another another group is coming out of the city. And they couldn't have been any more different. The group coming out, they're dejected. There's no hope. There's no future. They're mourning the death of a widow's only child. Now imagine the saddest death you can think of, and this one probably trumps that unless it's been your own experience. But this lady has already been out to the cemetery to bury her husband at some point in time, and now she's going back down that lonely trail to bury her only child, which means her future looks bleak. She has a couple of options, and neither one of them are very good. One is she can beg. And this is where God's people have always stepped up to help the poor. In the Old Testament, God even said to put aside some for the poor. When you glean from your fields, leave stuff on the edges. So she can beg, or she can turn to prostitution. And maybe do both. But neither is a good choice because her only hope of income was this child that's dead. And the Bible says, Luke being the doctor, Luke says that when Jesus saw her, his heart went out. He had compassion for her. The Greek there literally more has the idea of this broke his heart. It broke Jesus' heart. It moved him to compassion. And he approaches her and he says, don't cry. Now, as you know, our family runs a mortuary. And I've heard 
some of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life said in the context of someone dying. And if it hadn't been Jesus saying this, you would have to shake your head and say, that's a pretty stupid thing to say. Don't cry to a woman that's cried who knows how many thousands of tears that day already. Don't cry. You know, we say things. I was printing up a brochure this week that God looked around his garden and he needed another flower and he looked down and saw this person. And, pl- and I'm thinking, why do you put this stuff in folders? This is ridiculous. God doesn't need you to explain him. And you couldn't think of a worse thing to say to a person in grief that, well, God took your loved one because his garden was kind of wilted. And to say, don't cry to this woman, when Jesus says it, it's not in the same sense that when you and I say it. It's not some glib remark. But back up a second and look at the disciples following him. They're thinking, he's good. I mean, we've seen him do miracles. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him cast out demons. His teaching is something like we've never heard before. Uh, But is he that good? Can he really raise the dead? And Jesus walks up to the the beer on which the young boy is staying. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Now that's the English translation, about eight words. Very elementary level words. Even someone that had never been to school, never studied the Torah, can understand those words. Young man, I say to you, get up. And there's no dramatic pause. There's no hocus pocus. There's no televangelistic antics going on. There's no waving of a coat and people falling down and all that. The young man just sat up and he started talking. And they lowered the beer to the ground and the young man got off the beer and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, I want to ask you, what would it have been like to have been that young man, to have been that mother? She wasn't asking for a miracle. She didn't, there was nothing mentioned about her depth of faith or degree of faith or if she had any faith at all. For all we know, she didn't have any idea who Jesus was. But Jesus acted completely out of grace on her behalf and gave her son back. And isn't that a beautiful thing? (coughs) What would it have been like to have been that kid? You know, mom was at the bedside and she was crying uncontrollably. And I heard them talking, whispering about, you know, he's not going to be with us any longer. And I, I was too weak to respond. And then the next thing I know, I'm awake. And there's mom again, and there's all these people around me, and they're crying like crazy. And now they're rejoicing. And they're talking about some prophet. I don't know what happened. (coughs) They tell me I was dead. And now I'm not. Years ago, an album came out that I absolutely loved. It was Santana. And uh, Black Magic Woman album. 
And it had a picture on the front, and Janice bought me the album, and she cut out the picture on the front because it showed a woman's breast. I think I still have that album cover. But Janice censored it for me, and I enjoyed the music. There was a song on the album called Oye Como Va. Now, I don't speak Spanish. I barely speak English. And so I've asked a lot of my friends, what does Oyo Como Va mean? And nobody could tell me. I put it into Google Translation. It made no sense. And then I have a dear friend who was raised in South America and spoke Spanish fluently, also spoke Mexican Spanish fluently. And I asked Randy one day, I said, Randy, what does Oyo Como Va mean? And he said, it doesn't really mean anything, but in the street language, it's kind of, hey, how's it going? Now, I don't know what the Spanish response to that would be, but imagine you were one of Jesus' disciples, and somebody came up to you right after this, Oye, como va? What would you say? Fine. What would you say if you had just witnessed this miracle? Tiffany, I don't even know how to put into words what I just saw. I mean, I've been following Jesus for a while now, and I've seen him do stuff. But Tiffany, you, you won't believe this. The kid was dead, and he was alive. Jesus just said, get up. And he got up. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we were just walking along, and nobody knew why we were going to Nain, but Jesus knew why he was going to Nain. Can you imagine how that would change your life? To see Jesus do something like that? Kerry last week was, I mean, he, he put his heart out there for revival. And I'm sitting in the back thinking, what does it take for revival? How do you start a revival? I've never lived through a revival. I'd like to see that. But we read in these stories in the Bible and we look at what Jesus did and we look at how he acted in people's lives and we look at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and we look at all the the things that were done and the impact the church had on the world literally turned the world upside down. You say, why isn't that happening now? Why isn't that happening today? I've, I've said it to you, Carrie said it, All these stories, we're a part of those stories. We are in that story. Why isn't it happening like that? Where's the power? And and I was thinking about that this morning. Where do I go with this? (coughs) I'm going to cheat and steal a funeral sermon to get me started, but where do I go from there? And God, God just impressed on my heart. There's power in that story. You say, well, I haven't been raised from the dead. I haven't seen Jesus raise the dead. Really? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead. Huh? Yeah, you were dead. I was dead. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of us of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, 
following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. And we were under God's anger just like everything else. But God, but God is so rich in mercy. And He loves us so very much that even while we were dead, because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's special favor that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with Him. We are seated, not going to be. We right now are seated with Jesus at the right hand of God, because in God's kingdom there is no time. We are seated with Him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us, as examples of the incredible wealth of His favor or grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that He has done through Jesus Christ. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. There is power in that story that you and I were dead and now we're alive. There's power in that story. And there's power in living that out. There's power in being the church in the time of crisis, of being the church no matter what's going on around us, of being Jesus Christ. There's power in that story if we would live it and we have the guts to tell it. Do you think you would have been quiet if you had seen Jesus raise that boy from the dead? Do you think you would have never shared that story with anyone the rest of your life? No, you couldn't wait to tell that story. But that's your story. That's my story. That's our story. We were dead. And we're alive. Joe, if you want to come on up. How does revival start? Carrie, I think it starts with being the church and telling the story and living the story. A friend of mine asked his church last week, if, if our church were suddenly just completely taken away from this community, what impact would it have on the community? Because if our church isn't having an impact on the community, why are we here? What good are we doing? The impact that we will have and are having. I'm not saying we aren't. We are. The impact that we will have is to tell the story. Tell our story. And realize God has put power in that story. Amen.
I think the most powerful thing about what Greg says is that I think we always forget that God's story is our story. And that we forget that the Lord is the Lord of all of the earth, not just some of it, not just parts of it, not in certain time periods. And he's, he's the God of it all. A name that we can always call on. So as we close today, as the ushers come forward and collect the tithes and offerings, as part of our worship, may we sing this out as a declaration and a, remi- a reminder that there's victory, there's power calling on that name. At your name The mountains shake and crumble At your name The oceans roar and tumble your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice your people cry out Lord of all the earth we'll shout your name shout your name filling up the skies with endless praise endless praise Yahweh Yahweh we love to shout your name, O oh Lord. At your name, the morning breaks in glory. And at your name, Creation sings your story, and that's your name. Angels will bow, and the earth will rejoice, and your people cry out. So, just say with me, church, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name. Up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, oh Lord. Cause there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing, we will sing. Lord of all the earth, we'll shout your name, shout your name. Filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, oh Lord. Thank you, Greg, for your word this morning.
we have indeed been brought from death to life. The fear and the uncertainty and the worry that starts to spread so quickly across the world is answered in the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ in His work. The power of His death and His resurrection. We're only a few short weeks away from Passion Week and celebrating all that's involved in that critical moment in time that changed all of history. You go this week as ministers of that power of Lord Jesus Christ to raise people from whatever disposition, spiritual death they may be in, to life. May you impart hope. May we be the church that Christ has called us to be. I'm going to invite Hong Hai Kirby to come up. She's one of our board members, and Hong Hai also leads our prayer ministry. Many of you know her. She has a dear connection with the Lord Jesus. If you have prayer concerns or a need this morning, I want to invite you to come back by the cross at the back of the auditorium this morning, and there'll be people there from our prayer team to pray with you, maybe a need that you just need to bring. If you're looking for hope this morning and you've not been brought from death to life spiritually and you'd like to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, there's someone there that can pray with you as well for you to make that monumental step of faith to receive the Lord's life within. But Hong Hai, you know the news feeds this week. You know the need to pray for people that are sick, but also to pray for the concerns of our world. Hong Hai was brought to the Lord in early years in life, but her family comes from Vietnam. She knows the challenges of being involved in countries that do not have vibrant faith, but all that God's done there in recent decades. Even through a tragic war, God brought about healing and hope. But as we close this morning, I want you to join us across this room and join us at home in a sincere prayer, thanking God for who He is and His presence and His power, but praying for the needs of people, the needs of our nation and of our world. Will you join together in prayer? Holy Triune God, we thank you for your sweet, sweet presence in this place that you have chosen for your own name, for the display of your glory and splendor. We thank you, Lord, that you sit enthroned and we join the heavenly host to declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the God that we believe, serve, and worship. We thank you, Lord, for the message we heard this morning that reminded us that you have brought us to life from death. Oh, God, and you have raised us up in order to live a life that will declare your power, your glory in this world. And Lord, how much our world is needing that right now in this dark time. 
So we thank you, Jesus, that you, the light of the world, have come and resides within us. And we pray that during this dark time, we together, as your body, the church whom you have redeemed to yourself, the light that you have brought from within each of us, may it shine even more brightly now during this dark time of crisis. Lord, we also pray today in, in unity of spirit with your people throughout this country as our president has called for today to be the day, the national day of prayer. And how, how appropriate, how needful that we need that today, O oh Lord, as this the crisis that developed not no longer week to week, day to day, but now hour to hour. We living in a time of such uncertainty that's creating much fear and anxieties in people's heart. But Jesus, you have come into this world as the Prince of Peace. And Holy Spirit, your fruit within us is also peace. So we pray, God, that we together as your church, through this time, will demonstrate the light, the love, the peace that you have put within us. Oh, Father, in this time of uncertainty, we pray for those who are sick among us that you would heal us. Oh, we pray for your healing upon our own pastor, Carrie, Lord, the shepherd that you have sent here to shepherd your flock here at the awakening. We pray for your special touch on his vocal cord, that you would restore his voice that he will be able to freely sing your praises, declare your word with no hindrance by the power of your Holy Spirit, O Lord, because he loves you and he loves your word and he loves your people. But mostly because he, Lord, he loved your name, the name Yahweh, Yahweh, that we all love to sing and declare. And Father, we pray that you help us as a church, like our dear sister, also share her heart. During this time, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, how to minister to those in need in our, in our own family, in our community, in our nation, and in our world, oh Lord. And even as we, if we need to stay home, we pray that you will stir our heart to pray even more fervently. That's a great work we all can do, O oh Lord, from wherever we are. And we thank you that in this time of crisis, where things changes and everything seems so uncertain, we thank you for your promise that upon this rock, the rock of Christ, you build your church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And we thank you, Lord, that although we can see the fingerprints of the enemy, Satan behind all of this, because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we thank you for your promise that you have come to give us life and life abundantly. 
because you are the creator of life, the sustainer of life. And those of us who have been made alive in you, we are with you in eternity, Lord. And we pray during this crisis that you would draw many people in our nation, in our world to you. As we, as everyone can see how uncertain this life is, may all eyes be drawn to Jesus. And may all hearts turn to you for salvation. And those of us who know you, may this is an, a wonderful opportunity for us to experience you even more deeply of your love, your faith, your grace, all your wonderful attributes because you are the living, powerful God. And we thank you that in you we can go from victory unto victory because we belong to your kingdom, the unshakable kingdom, and you are our king of kings. Lord of lords, we thank you. We love you. May we walk out of here victors, super victors in you. Because this crisis, this COVID-19 or anything, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we praise you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. Gather together as you feel led with others in your life groups. We are the church. May you be blessed as you go to be the hands and the feet of Jesus this week. Amen. Space.